All right. You the know, question was, what, do you have what, a queue? Basically, what, uh, what Cogent was telling us is like, no, we're delivering your packets with no problem to them. It's Verizon's problem. It's AT&T's problem. And they were kind of like both parties were pointing fingers at each other. Let, let, let's go down and, and, and then we'll, yeah. we'll grab. I, I do want people to ask questions. Actually, I, I want to have a conversation, but I want everyone to just kind of nope. give their story. But no, I think we're good. Tim, it's your turn, right? Mm -hmm. Thanks, Rusty. That's great. Yeah, uh, usually there's a service level agreement and such, but it's usually within the only network yeah. that you've arranged with, not outside of that. Um, hi, I'm Tim Pozar. I'm uh, director of streaming operations for a company called Fandor. We do independent films and foreign language films and such, and all the stuff that Netflix doesn't show. So it's kind of Sundance, South by Southwest kind of stuff. Um, and this is a big concern for us because we're a little startup and we're trying to compete uh, within, well, there's a couple other companies that are, that are out there doing this kind of service, but we're also trying to make sure that we have a quality of service that people want to buy and be able to, we can actually survive and be sustainable. Um, and we have very similar problems. With, this is something that we've been scratching our head over for a couple years now is how to address this. I've been doing a lot of studying on um, how our streaming does. We get reports back on what's called buffering. So every time you see the little uh, wheel, the beach ball that's sort of spinning on the screen and the film is frozen, uh, we count those seconds and then take that over the number of minutes or seconds that you've watched. And so typically we'll, we'll be okay with like a percent of buffering or so. So every second over 100 seconds, that's tolerable. But when it gets much higher than that, then people will not want to subscribe to our service. We have a big problem with particularly with cable companies and such. And we can go into a little more details of why that is the case and how we're trying to solve it. But it's a really tough problem. And we'd love to see some sort of regulation around this, but there's some other solutions that we can talk to talk about in, uh, at the end of the session as well. Anyway, did you have Thanks. Yeah, no, that was great. Sure. Brewster? I'm Brewster Kale. I run an organization called the Internet Archive. Uh, it's a large digital library. Um, we've got um, about 18 petabytes of data on 50 uh, petabytes of servers. We serve about 2 million users uh, a, a day. We're about the 200th most popular website. We're, I, we think of ourselves as kind of a home for the commons for people that want to make things uh, publicly available. The net neutrality thing is absolutely key to us because we're kind of the place that um, you can get access to materials that aren't going to be the big high paying things. We're not the Netflixes of the world. We're kind of the long tail uh, folks. Um, but we're coming into problems. Um, we detected when we started using Vonage as our, uh, as our phone, this was many years ago, that Comcast, um, started actually discriminating against Vonage. Um, and we tried to call them on, and of course they said, oh no, um, but you know, we're, we've got good enough network geeks to know what they were doing. Um, and it was, it's a real problem. We run at about 20 gigabits per second to the outside internet. And one of the things, we work with an, a nonprofit ISP, because uh, what we found is technology is cheap, but monopolies are expensive. So the, we are on Moore's law in terms of internet switching costs and even fiber um, bandwidth, all of that stuff. Um, but the monopolies are causing all sorts of troubles, whether they're people that own the, um, the switching points, uh, telex and the like, um, or other, the AT&Ts, the Comcast. These guys have a lot of money to, um, to spend on trying to protect their monopolies. A, a friend that used to work at Bell Labs 
said that there were 50,000 lawyers, 50,000 lawyers, on both sides of the telecom um, regulating world. That's a hell of a lot of expense for what? Um, and so it's obviously not better services. So I think we, we think we've got uh, problems um, by being kind of the, you know, the nonprofit out there if we lose this uh, net neutrality battle. Let me just say where there are not 50,000 lawyers, and it's on the side of the public interest groups and the small startups and the, the amazing places like the Internet Archive who are trying to get this right. We do not have 50,000 lawyers. <laughs> um, but I will, as this goes, conversation goes on, I hope that we can also leave you guys with some things you can do to help support these efforts to you know, kind of keep the Internet open. Um, so I'd like to talk about what some kinds of solutions here, both pie in the sky solutions and more realistic solutions. So, um, you know, Title II is, is like I said, what, what's kind of on the table right now, potentially. Um, and this has to do with, again, treating all content equally um, because the internet would be defined as a common carrier. Um, do you guys think that that would solve the problem? I think, I think there's going to be some collateral damage. I think there's going to be yeah. collateral damage with it. And so we have to be study this quite carefully. I'm a little concerned that we did start this internet with basically unregulated. We did start it with sort of these ideas and, and lofty goals. I'm a little concerned that Title II can inhibit some of that as well. So there's going to be a trade-off to this. And so I just can't say, well, just go ahead and put Title II on it because it's going to fit. Right, I but think there has to be some study on that. I, I think that's fair. We worry a lot about um, incentivizing innovation, like keeping the network and the infrastructure you know, of the highest quality. But right now, there's a monopoly on the ISPs. I mean, how many, I hate, to use, I hate to always ask people to raise their hands, but how many of you have either Comcast or Verizon or AT&T? Right. Two of the three. So, uh, <laughs> better story, I live 25 minutes from Sand Hill Road. Okay. I have exactly one possible ISP. So nine, Let nine, me repeat nine, that in the microphone. 25 miles from Sand Hill Road, one ISP, unless 25 you... Minutes. 25 minutes, sorry. And 99% um, of the country is either zero, one, or two. Yeah. Um, I think we interrupted. Um, I was going to say, one of the concerns that comes up with um, making the last mile carriers, uh, common carriers, is sometimes traffic shaping can benefit the customers. Like, uh, imagine a scenario, there's a kid who's got a 100 megabit connection, he's a gamer, he's pissed off a whole bunch of people on some other gaming site, and they do a massive denial of service against him, and suddenly there's, you know, a terabyte a second of data going after this poor guy and basically swamping and taking out the whole, you know, everybody in that, that area at the same time. We wanna make sure that an ISP can do things like block that, and basically keep you know damage that was aimed at one person from damaging like a whole community or a whole you know geographical area. And I want to make sure that when we, because this is one of the things I find is a sort of a you got to be careful with net neutrality is you need to let ISPs do some things to make sure that something can't take out the whole yeah. network. So most of the rules we've seen and the current proposed rules, they allow for reasonable network management. Yeah. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, there are important carve outs like that. And, and I and think that's, that's an important, important thing. To make sure those get left in. Yeah. And it's important that we've got people knowledgeable talking to the FCC yeah. about what those things look and, like. And they should be monitored too. We can't have anybody saying, you know, like we don't want to see uh, Comcast blocking BitTorrent because they say, oh, that's abuse of our network. It falls under the network management policy. So that's actually, I'm glad you said that. So can someone tell the story about what happened with Comcast and BitTorrent? 
uh, well, I mean, they were throttling, and then, yeah. <laughs> and then then they got their hand slapped basically publicly. Mm-hmm. Uh, did this happen about the same time as NBC Universal? I think a little the bit merger? before. Yeah, because I mean, part. Of, I mean, there was a lot of hassle between. Uh, Comcast and Level 3 and a number of other people. There was a lot of net neutrality issues singing because uh, Netflix was trying to dump traffic onto Comcast. This is the point about, as you know, that they joined up with NBC Universal, And, of course, one of the contingencies of that merger is the fact that they had to follow network neutrality sort of rules or policies or that, that kind of concept. But that's, that expires, by the way, I think it's next year. So that they're not going to be under that sort of regulation now. So just we, to be clear, when there was the merger, as part of the deal, Comcast agreed to bind itself to these open internet rules, no yeah. matter what the court said. Right. Just for background. And, yeah. And on, on BitTorrent, you know, most you say BitTorrent, people think, oh, bad piracy, whatever. Um, but the Internet Archive uses it to distribute uh, a couple of petabytes of data, uh, millions of things, books, music, video, um, to people all over the world. And it provides this nice characteristic, not only for helping augment our bandwidth, because you know we're really popular, say, in Japan, might as well be getting it from the other people in Japan mm-hmm. rather than getting it from us. But also, it provides a level of redundancy um, so that uh, if we get hit or some things get hit, that they um, stay up. So BitTorrent um, is a... Uh, is just a protocol and if there were people that were able to bias against the world wide web back in um, I don't know early 90s uh, there uh, we could name the people that would have said eh, let's go and uh, like snuff those guys they're, they're, they're definitely full of porn and, pi- and piracy um, so allowing little guys to come up in the world is absolutely critical and frankly you know this kind of gathering mostly we're in small organizations compared to what it is um, most of these big guys are dealing with uh, that, and even the people that have voice in Washington are very well-paid um, and very profitable organizations. So there's this question of how do we have our voices heard, and it's not easy, but it is possible. Should I riff? Riff. Um, there's a group called uh, I'm on the board of Public Knowledge. Um, and Public Knowledge is a group in Washington, D.C. set up with Larry Lessig and, and, and stuff in that sort of era to try to give voice to people, smaller organizations um, in this whole telecom uh, type uh, environment. What they really need um, is people with stories that they can truck around in Capitol Hill. I did this. It is surreal. And you, you can basically say, well, I'm too busy, right? I, you know, what do I know? You know, why am I, but they need basically people with real stories saying, you know, if you do this law, this thing is not going to be possible anymore. Or I run a radio station and it's going to become so choppy, I'm going to not be able to deal. Um, They need basically people that can truck around. So they truck me around to these staffers. I never got to the actual Congress people. I think you have to pay to get to them. No, no, I can get you to them. We'll go back. back. Um, And it was uh, completely fun and really... um, (laughs) One of those memorable couple days of my life. So I highly recommend it. Public knowledge, not only worth sort of sending in some money to them. Sounds like Engine is doing somewhat the same thing. Um, But they are sort of for us. And even though we're small, we kind of say, you know, I'm too small. I'm scrappy. You know, I can't donate to anything. EFF, I'm also on the board of, also helps uh, bring uh, uh, voice to us. And I hate to go and say, well, write your congressperson or something. No, show up on their doorstep. Yeah. Because yeah. The, if you guys are, are little entrepreneurs and you've got a story, 
they don't get to hear any of that stuff. They only get to hear the bad boys on the other side um, uh, trot their stories. Richard, can I echo that real quick? I was I was in D.C. sure showing my kid off what what how the meat grinder works, <laughs> and uh, I was able to we we met up with Nancy Pelosi and actually with uh, Feinstein's chief of staff. And I was able to go in and do mano mano and be able to meet with him and say, listen, we're trying to put this municipal network out in the city of San Francisco. We don't want laws that stop that. And I was able to get uh, an hour of ear time from each of these people by just showing up on the doorstep. And so, you really want to meet with like the chief of staff or like the, the staffer that's in charge of an mm -hmm. issue. You know, don't worry so much about meeting with the actual politician because they, you know, they're kind of like a figurehead in my experience. And the staffers are the ones that say, "Okay, here's what we, you need to do this. So go out and do this." So if you can get a staffer on your side, you have suddenly a tremendous amount of leverage. This is so funny. This is usually the the pitch I need to give, and you guys are giving it for me. So I'm just going to pile on for a second. Um, so this also is what Engine is. We recently had. Um, something we called Startup Day on the Hill, we brought about 12 or 13 startup founders to Capitol Hill and we took them around all day and we met with members of Congress and staffers and we talked about these issues. And if you guys haven't done this, you would be surprised, I think shocked, and, and I think these folks are echoing that, to find out just how much the people in these offices, from the staffer level to the member level, you know, the senators, really want to hear from real people in their districts about what's going on. I cannot tell you how much more effective that is than me going to the Hill and telling them again and again, which I do because that's my job. But um, it's so much more meaningful. So it's surreal and it's actually kind of fun. It's super fun, right? <laughs> so um, PK, EFF, I used to work at EFF. Um, I work very closely with PK on these issues. Engine, we take startups there. I mean, reach out to any of us. You know, this is, we're all working together toward a similar end. And it's, um, I, I cannot stress enough. Please budget a trip out, and, of, out, of, this, out of this meeting. That would be fabulous. Um, we've got a question. Yeah. Okay, so if you can't get to Washington, D.C., they all have local offices. Yep, 100%. So, and next week, they're going to, right now, they're in session. Next week, they're on recess. They're all going to be home next week. Call their local offices. If you guys want to know what to say, if you want talking points, send me an email, julie at engine.is. I will get you in touch with someone who can kind of walk you through it, or I will walk you through it. Yep. Wait, she has actually a mic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Wait, let me, let me. Um, yeah, let's Hang on one second. Yeah, let me turn it on. Oh, turn it on. Good idea. We'll take that question. And then I, I also want to talk, um, after this question, I do want to kind of talk to the panel just a bit more about other other potential solutions, maybe logistical DIY stuff. Um, but let's get this question first. Okay, we are on. I'm dangerous with a microphone. I'm Paul Wells. I'm also known as Lobster in the Bay Area when I do rock radio. <laughs> um, Rusty and I know each other. Um, not only going to Washington, not only... Um, the talking points you have, but there's one that's seriously not being discussed. I have a friend who lives in the Mission District here in San Francisco. She's disabled. She's on a fixed income. She can barely afford food above the rent. Her landlord would love to kick her out and double the rent, which she just did when someone moved from an upstairs apartment. She can't afford cable. She can't afford a landline. She can't access the internet she doesn't have tv unless she watches it on her computer and it works so slow that um, she has nothing to look at she's bed bedridden the really evil effect of the corporations getting their 99 percent of the internet is what happens to people like her and the one percent i totally agree Totally. And that is a point to make, especially to bleeding hearts like Nancy Pelosi. I would know. also point out, too, that um, it's not just 
that I guess a similar element is that um, you know when you think too about the international aspect and when you think about the Arab that Spring. That was my question. And, yeah. Is you know how can you? So not, not necessarily political. I don't believe in left and right. I believe in in the central focus of this country, which is equal protection under the law. Right. So, 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 there's, so there's a couple people here on this panel that are actually working towards trying to address that particular problem. Um, uh, Brewster started a thing called SFLAN, and you can probably talk about this. I helped him originally on it. Um, and it's a wireless network that is trying to give away free internet access. He wants to be able to have people connect to his service. Can I pitch for you for a while? Please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and recently he's been starting to do this in the city of Richmond. The city of Richmond has just been embracing this like mad, and he's going to be putting wireless all over city of Richmond. So all it is is basically going out and throwing up a, an $80 antenna and pointing to his tower, and you get, what, 100 megabits or something? Maximum 100 megabits bi-directional. Yeah. And how much does that cost from Comcast? Does anyone know? Oh, uh, you can't, can't, uh, can't buy it. Uh, can't buy it. it. Can you can't. Yeah, no, yeah I, can't, I can't buy it. Yeah, yeah if you want really Any high, metric, right? if yeah, you want a high out, it's going to be even two hundred right. bucks. Maybe. So there's yeah. there's another network that that Brewster also connects with uh, is uh, something that we've been doing as a guerrilla effort with the city of San Francisco called Community Broadband Network. We've been putting fiber into every single uh, housing authority site so that people get hundred to one gigabit symmetrical in their apartment complex. So these are the people that you that. Lobster was talking about that uh, do not have a way to be able to afford $50 or $100 to be able to connect to the internet. They can start their own business out of their apartments and such. And so they're they, actually getting way faster internet than the rest of us are getting uh, at home. I wish I was living in a housing development yeah. interactive to be able to connect that, but, well, maybe not. But uh, so, but those are the people that are the disenfranchised, the digital divide that we need to be addressing. So what I would like to see is a way that the a municipality, uh, this starts getting to my other solution, if you don't mind. Go, please. Okay. This so, is actually a perfect so segue. The, the restrictions, the, the reason that network neutrality is showing this ugly head at this point, or, not, or, or the absence of it, is that we have a lack of last mile resources. We talked about that earlier. Will you really quickly explain last mile, just to make sure everyone. Oh, sure, sure. So last mile is the people who are actually are connecting into your house. Those are the people like Comcast and, and the tele, uh, cable company and the telephone company. Sorry, I don't want you to. Most of the country, countries you pointed out, most of the country it's not a mile. Right. Well, I, I, we have a, we have a, uh, uh, we go visit this house in Wisconsin. There's nothing there. I mean, we're literally 50 miles away from, you know, Madison and such. So there's nothing out there. The only thing you can get is maybe satellite, and that's pretty craptacular. Um, so, and expensive. And expensive. That's true. So. Uh, you, you or you may be able to get the telephone company and you have this aging hundred year old infrastructure um, and what happened is that got deregulated so you have these little companies like Sonic and things like that that say you know what we're gonna use that copper and of course this infrastructure is decaying and they're not putting more money into trying to fix this in fact what they're doing is companies like AT&T are doing things like Uverse where they put fiber into the into the neighborhood and then they you know that wire that that the Celex are going to use from your house back to the central office, they cut that. And then they attach to the fiber network. So now- And once that line is cut, you are no longer eligible for their unregulated copper services and they won't put it back in. And the copper are the phone lines. Right, and so the Celex, like Sonic, can't use that infrastructure now. Wait, wait, to be clear, the fiber, putting in the fiber sidesteps the deregulation? Yes, yes. yes. Because it was basically, they deregulated the copper that went from the central office to the street address. Under Title II because it's a telephone service. No, because, they, because they changed the physical infrastructure, 
they sidestep all that. Right, because it's an information services. It's not uh, that's going out there as opposed to mm, a Title II service. Yeah, which is a good reason. Yeah, which is a good reason not to sign up for AT and T's UVerse service. <laughs> so anyway, so there's no competition with the telephone company. You can't argue that with me. And then there's no the other provider that's been a monopoly uh, for ages, which is the cable company. So you have this basically a cartel of that nobody can go in there and compete against this. The thing that I proposed uh, when, I don't know if you remember the Google Earthlink wireless <laughs> debacle that we, the city of San Francisco had way back when, we were working actually against that and we discovered that the city of San Francisco had tons of fiber. I said, well, screw this, trying to fit a bunch of bandwidth in this little bit of spectrum that we have. We should be putting fiber into every single street address and it shouldn't be handed to one company to manage. It should be owned by the city of San Francisco. So the last mile, between the street address and the data center should be network neutral. Anybody should be able to use that pipe. Now, uh, just a quick notice, uh, some little math here. When I first started an ISP back in 1989-90, we were paying $5,000 a month for one megabit worth of bandwidth. It was from a company called Uginet. That was because there was no competition. Brewster is probably paying about, what, dollar. a dollar for that. So it's gone down 5,000 times. <laughs> That's because competition at the data center is good. You know, you can be able to buy from pretty much 40 different uh, ISPs at a data center. But competition between the last mile doesn't exist. You only have two companies at best. So we need to open up that last mile infrastructure. If that last mile infrastructure comes up and you say, hey, I want to have Sonic or ISPB or whatever, and they don't perform for you, in other words, Netflix is not working for you or something like that, you just dial them and say, switch me over to this other provider. Network neutrality these issues would disappear. Yeah, you wouldn't even need net neutrality really at that point because so. the, the market would take care of it, but yeah. the problem is we do not have a market. So let me, let me pay devil's advocate for a second and ask a question. Great. <laughs> just, just to be clear, if it isn't already, I am <laughs> a firm believer in net neutrality, but because I'm the moderator, um, I'm going to try and, and make just a little difficult for you guys. So um, putting aside these questions of, of you know net neutrality and how you get the regulation or non-regulation, there are tons of things we're not talking about regulating that allows certain companies to get their content to customers faster. CDNs come to mind. Being able to put your, actually put one of your servers at these data centers that are geographically closer to your users. No one's talking about touching those types of business models, for instance. So, so doesn't that, you know, isn't that just another way of advantaging the people who can pay for it? Well, CDNs, actually, if you, if you look at like companies like Akamai, and um, uh, Limelight, various other companies that actually are doing what's called content delivery networks, where you actually are putting, you're, you're telling, you're, like Brewster could do this, but sort of we do this. We take our content and we push it on a CDN. So when a client connects, it's only a couple miles away as opposed to a thousand miles away. And so they get it much faster and they have it much more reliable connections. But you find out actually there's enough competitions on CDNs that we actually are buying the bandwidth from CDNs for about the same amount that he's buying for transit. And that didn't used to be the case. CDNs were much more expensive. Yeah. But it's a truly competitive market, it's, right? Right. It seems like it's getting that going, way Going now. and putting smart things on the edges of the network has always been fine. Going and, and changing the actual infrastructure of the internet to bias traffic is plagued with problems. And I think we need to get back to an internet that has a certain set of principles to it. What we didn't do is basically 
trademark internet and say if you're going to be using the word you're providing internet service it means these things we didn't do that way back when and probably we should have uh, but we've got a problem so we but there are some uh, let me riff just a moment on the uh, on the on the free wireless thing I realize this is music tech but this is something that's kind of fun and interesting and it is making some progress um, we got a 70-foot tower in Richmond, California, because we bought a warehouse, uh, and we asked, can we go and put up a 70-foot tower? And they said, sure. They answered, actually, the phone on the first <laughs> ring. They said, sure. Do we need a permit? No. Can we have that in writing? And they sent an email. Blam! That was it. You want It's still ongoing in San Francisco. It's been four years um, to try to get uh, antennas above 10 feet on our roof anyway um so uh, Richmond has been great and then they uh, put uh, they allowed uh, repeaters on a couple of their towers and their buildings and so the idea is a rooftop network so it's like the old days I'm old enough that we used to climb on top of our roofs to put up a TV antenna it's that kind of thing it's not going to go and be something that your laptop in your couch is going to be able to connect to it's a rooftop network so you can connect to it and then bring a wire into your house and repeat it and so all you're doing is um, uh, paying for the equipment to connect we go and offer all of that stuff for free now you say gosh isn't it a lot of money? And the answer is no. It's too cheap to meter for us. Um, so the uh, the uh, and that's because uh, you're using so much data in the first place that it's just like no, yeah, not even. So let's take the five thousand um, housing um, uh, units that, that Tim has helped hook up to the uh, city fiber that we then put on the open internet. So we're the ones that get all the hate mail based on the bit torrenting or whatever of all of these um, uh, of all these residents in the housing projects. There are five thousand of them. It, it, and we, I watch the bandwidth go up and down, and it goes up to around 200 megabits per second, peak per day. 200 megabits per second would cost about $200 a month, which is, I, I don't even account for things that are that low. Um, so, it's, so we've got an ability to serve 5,000 high-speed, fairly voracious um, housing project uh, units, and it's that cheap. So the underlying technology is inexpensive. Now you go and say, well, they're going and crying. Oh, it's so expensive to put all this up. They're lying. <laughs> they're lying. Um, so w if we're going to go and do something, we can do some things on the edges. We can go and prove that this stuff is doable. And if we're really successful, or if they get really super bad, we might actually get to, to be start to be a player. But the idea what we wanted out of the city of San Francisco, and it's been remarkably hard to get, is yeah. 25 rooftops. If we had 25 rooftops, we'd pay for all the equipment. If they did the backhaul over their fiber to our network, um, we would then offer every, almost, every household roof in San Francisco free bi-directional internet access. We can't get that out of them. It's a cool question of why. It's I think a it has to do to with 50,000 lawyers. Yeah, exactly. I, there's lobbyists involved, I'm sure, <laughs> in, but Richmond doesn't seem to uh, attract those lobbyists. Yeah. Well, this sort of thing's actually. I think there's a mic. Wait, let me get you. Right? Let's get you the mic. Oh yeah. Sorry. So this kind of thing has been outlawed. If, if there's question. no money they put into it, in general, it's okay. As long as they, they don't, they can't put any money in to compete with the commercials, but we're not looking for any money from them. All so, we need is, is physical locations. And also, as Tim points out, cities own dumb infrastructure like pipes. Let's put a pile of fiber through it that's not just controlled yeah. by one organization. What about so, Google Fiber, guys? 
Can someone talk about that? Well, they, uh, a step so, in the so, right direction, but not uh, there. Enough. So it's not open. It's not. Uh, so yeah. not any Tom, Dick, or Harry at ISP. And you can't ISP put a server on it. Can plug into it, and it's not network neutral. Kansas City did this. They did a. They put fiber to compete with the cable company there because the cable company was basically ripping them off. Um, but they didn't open it up. They, so if you connect to Kansas City, you it's not Kansas City. I'm sorry, Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, you have to buy television services and internet services from the city of Lafayette, Louisiana. We want to see it so that you can buy it from anybody who has who shows up at the data. So that's center. actually called open access, yeah. which is like a flavor of net neutrality. I'm going to get in legal weeds again for a second, but when people talk about open access, that's what they're talking now, about. Now you you do bring up a point. There's a number of states that are have been. Uh, pass laws that restrict open access and at least run by a municipality. And so that's the other thing that we'd like to see happen. We'd like to see those laws abandoned or struck down or we want to be able to see where it, it takes a lot of money. We figure it's going to be a quarter million, maybe, excuse me, a quarter billion dollars to put fiber into every single street address in the city of San Francisco. That is going to take a lot of return on investment to pay that back. It's going to take a long time. Any sort of Wall Street company is going to say, we want an ROI after about five to 10 years. That's not going to happen with a quarter billion or half a billion dollars. It may be 20 or 30 years. Who has the deep pockets to be able to do that? A municipality. They should be treating this as a street or a water main or a sewer main or whatever else. This is a pipe that goes to a home that encourages other companies to be able to compete against and be able to sell with. So that's what Palo Alto did, right? Or tried to do at one well, point? Well, Palo Alto tried. did it and then got scared to death thinking because the incumbents started shaking their, their right. rattles and their their sabers and such, and they actually shut that down and they pulled back all the, all the units. So if a city like Palo Alto where you've got, obviously, you know, a major hub of Silicon Valley, yeah. if you and nerds and everywhere, nerds. can't make it happen, how, you know, how are these other cities and municipalities all over the country going? Well, you if you can't to, do it in Palo Alto, where can you do it? You have to have Richmond. A, in Richmond. Yeah. yeah. You, ha yeah. you have to have a small Go company. Go Gale. City. Yeah. yeah, you have to have a small city that, that's <laughs> agile and it doesn't. it's not encumbered with bureaucracy and such. Or you have to have a mayor or a CIO or something yeah. like that that has some insight and is willing to drive this home. There's so, a question. Let me, let me grab the question because I don't want your hand to fall asleep. <laughs> the other arm already did. Uh, um, I really feel for the FCC on this. You know, they're, they've inherited this problem from the Bush years when the cable, you know. Chairman Powell was not helpful. Dodged the bullet. And as we know, you establish regulation and technology finds a way around it. I mean, that's one right. of the driving motives of some technology development. So where should the regulatory intervention be. I, I used to think that it would be if you could grab hold of the backbone and somehow make sure that that was regulated in a common carriage sense such that prioritization of traffic was not allowed to transit that, mm -hmm. you'd be solving the problem. But no, you have Google and Amazon and Netflix and Microsoft able to build their own private internets to have increasingly diverse and proliferated interconnection further out closer to the customers. So I'm wondering, do you regulate those points of interconnection, those points of termination at the local ISP hubs and the local switching offices? What, is there a technology solution or do you have to approach it a different way? 
Yeah, go I ahead. Say like this. Do. See, this is, I, I think that I'm surprised that the FTC hasn't gotten involved with a lot of this because when Comcast is selling you or, or Verizon is selling you 100 megabits of internet service with a small asterisk by like depending on you know where you're trying to get to, blah 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 to keep themselves you know legal, they're not really selling you the internet. Everybody thinks they're buying 100 megabits, but they're buying potentially at the most 100 megabits. But to a lot of parts of the internet, it's way less than that, and. The question is, you know, are you should we regulate the backbones? Usually, the backbones. There's enough competition there that it's not a it's not an issue. The place where it becomes an issue is where the internet backbones connect to the local ISPs, right? The the peering points or the transit interchanges. Is that what you call them? Uh, peering points, basically, for lack of a better term. Right. Peering locations. Um, yeah. And those are the things that tend to get o- overcrowded, and that's where ISPs are looking to make deals like, oh, I'm going to pri- you pay me this much money, I'll prioritize prioritize your traffic on that peering point or you can pay extra money and can connect your backbone or your own private server network with ours i mean the internet is a connection of a collection of private networks right it always has been um but i think the biggest problem we're seeing is isps are selling you something which you're not really getting you're not really getting 100 megabits to quote the internet common carrier just chant it right just um, you know, yeah, it's complicated, whatever, you know, common carrier, right? This is, this is not an information service. This is a service that is core to how our country works. It's how our economy works. It's the roads. It's the plumbing. It's electricity. We need a common carrier. And I think if we kind of keep it down a bumper sticker level, um, we actually might win. So make the, yes. 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 <laughs> you know, and if I can just pile onto that for a second, um, I totally agree with you know everything that's been said. And um, you know, I think as far as the common carrier stuff goes, and regulation is tough for a whole host of reasons. I firmly believe that if we have any common carriers in the United States, if our legal system is equipped to um, think of anything as a basic utility, then the internet needs to be in that pile. And we've yes. committed, you know, our country, our legal system is committed to that already. So, so it's not like time to experiment and say, okay, let let's just experiment something new with the internet. Right. By the way, if you get a chance, read Susan Crawford's book mm-hmm. about this, and she goes into some nice prehistory about what common carrier is all about. Yeah. So we got a question up here. And by the way, let's let's open this up for questions because we're we only have about um, I think we've got just 15, 10, 15 minutes left. So if others have questions, now is your chance. Well, given the fact that Comcast found a way to get around the FCC regulation that came with the NBC purchase through the peering and throttling it before it even got onto their network, but thus they could stand back and say, hey, we were, it's passing through our network just fine. That was, that was the loophole that they found on that. They weren't necessarily throttling it. They, weren't necessarily, they were not providing a big enough gateway there. I mean, it's not like they were saying like, oh, we're, only, we're restricting this gateway it was full. Sure, they weren't adding the necessary capacity to it. So, and they were they weren't so, well, referencing it, traffic. Semantics. Yeah. Yeah. The point is they were they were minimizing the amount of data that Netflix was being allowed to act, pass onto their network. Well, it was also any everybody else. Who yeah, was it wasn't to just Netflix. Type. It was impacting not, us, for yeah. example. Good question. Yeah. What the point okay. of it? What I'm trying to get to is, given the fact that they found the loophole in that, and given the, how many access points you have to go through from point of origin to point of reception. And how many different companies you are you are dealing with at this point? How is it you expect the FCC to find a way to regulate those different access points uh, under these uh, under the restrictions that they've got with these two options? Well, you can you can 
you can regulate on performance. I mean, you can say, uh, we expect that there is no packet loss going over these connections, or the latency is going to be X between, between here and here for all traffic. Um, you could do quality. I mean, basically, that's, you know, the Bell Telephone system had these whole set of standards that they developed. Uh, and it's not actually everybody a whole could use their phone at the same time. Right. You know, and, the, yeah, and like when an earthquake would happen, everybody would try to call, you'd pick up your phone, you wouldn't get dial tone. But 90% of the time or 95% of the time, you would be able you to get, get dial tone. The, yeah, the capacity yeah. expected. So it's about. So they were built that way. Title II is about um, non discrimination and reasonable access. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't say always access, you know, things can go wrong, like you're saying, and that's an important element. Um, I also think you do bring up a point, though, that people are going to find ways around these, and the truth is that this is kind of like a living process. So I think CDNs are a good example. We've been getting a lot of pushback. It's like, well, you know, why don't you regulate CDNs? And it's like, well, right now, we don't need to. It's, it's a pretty vibrant market. It's not a monopoly. Yeah. So maybe five years, I have a different answer to that question. And I guess that that sometimes is intellectually unsatisfying, but it's just the way of the world. Like, we're worried about these monopolies and these duopolies that are incredibly dangerous. Um, and that's that's where we're focusing our efforts. We, we should, I, I have a paper that I'm going, I'm writing at this point, to tell it sort of the difference between what we've been seeing in the past with Comcast and the, the restrictions that, like Rusty and I have been uh, talking about and experiencing, versus what is actually network neutrality. Uh, in the case, I mean, previously we saw, for instance, um, there was a company called Level 3 that was uh, Netflix's CDN, and they decided to move the traffic that they were moving towards Comcast from one pipe to another pipe, which had a business dis bit different business relationship, and they overcommitted that pipe. And then there was a big fight saying, well, no, you need to fix that. No, you need to fix that. And that's where... Uh, people kept saying, well, this is network neutrality. Well, no, this is actually, you just need to go out and fix the fact that we have high latency and high packet loss over this connection. Network neutrality, what I'm concerned about is, for instance, specifically that you have to pay extra, for instance, like in a fast lane, to make sure your packets get there. I see that as extortion. It's like, hey, it's a little too bad if your uh, packet gets lost here. Uh, you know, if you pay us a little money, we can make sure it gets there. You know. That's what we're seeing with fast lanes, and that's the problem. With, uh, I'm even more worried about fast lanes using up all the available bandwidth on the network, and people who aren't paying for fast lanes suddenly go from being like just medium speed to crawling and not working. Yeah. So it's not even. It's like, well, you want to not be in gridlock, you got to pay for the right. you know the, the fast lane. Otherwise, forget it. Here we go. We got a question right here. Let's keep our, let's keep our answers shorter. Okay. Uh, yeah, it sort of relates speed, to uh, what Tim was just saying that how do you define neutrality and I don't know if it's defined in the law currently but to me you know neutrality is not necessarily you know non-discrimination it could be well whether you uh, give equal you know access or equal yeah. amount of bandwidth because if, if that's going to be the requirement then the flip uh, side of that is they're going to be the government might be sort of restricting speech right if you're you're saying, you know, everybody, no matter what your size is, you know, small radio station versus Netflix gets equal access, then right. Netflix is going to have the argument that their speech is being restricted and they're getting less speech in the process. So I think what the answer is and how you, I like to think about net neutrality is uh, content agnostic and application agnostic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not paying any attention to what the content is or what the application is doing. You can pay attention to the size. Um, how many bits you need to get through, but no one can pay any attention to what, what those bits carry. Uh, we got a question over here. Can, can some of you, someone there clarify a little bit about the advantages that 
cable companies and phone companies get in getting, in my case, that last 20 miles um, Well, they get a monopoly. Connected. Right, or do I? Right. I mean, they have public right-of-way that they use to string their cable. Yeah. They have some tax advantages in a lot of places to putting in this stuff. They had a lot of public support to put these things in originally. Right? I mean, there's a lot of things that allow them to have a monopoly or a near monopoly right. over, as, as Tim was saying, most of the country, right? Now, can, can some of you give us some facts and some overview of how that actually works and what that actually consists They're of? They're all Faustian deals. I mean, for instance, the telephone company was a bunch of different telephone companies, and then the government said, you know, let's, let's put one together, because they kept buying them up, and it said, we'll exchange for a monopoly for this you need to have this level of service. You need to be able to, to jump these hoops and such. But we also might want to make sure that, yeah, they want to make sure it was everywhere, that anybody, everybody had equal access and such. But that was the deal. And the same thing with cable companies. When they came in, they said, you know what, you can have an exclusive franchise so you can run your cable over the place. Well, those have been sort of eradicated at this point. But the problem, the prevention for a competitor to come in there to be able to compete with a telephone company or the cable company is the enormous cost of putting out that infrastructure. So that's what's holding people back for the last mile. And you know, uh, traditionally, I just think this is interesting, a lot of those local laws were passed on the basis that it would be ugly to hire, to um, wire too many wires. <laughs> yeah, so that's why they should be undergrounded. I mean, I think that that was lobbyists to convince them that that was the best argument, but nonetheless, if you go back through, you know, a lot of cities have these monopolies so that we don't Cover our sky and Extrapolating a bit, a little bit to wireless, uh, T-Mobile's made a big deal with PG&E to put mo uh, microcells on PG&E's power lines, basically. So like in San Francisco, you're going to see all these little brown boxes attached to power poles on the corner of the street. And you look up the top, there's a weird little antenna. looks kind of like an upside-down paint can. And uh, it, that was a way T-Mobile got around putting it, you know, making lots of deals with landowners and stuff like that. They had one deal with PG&E. And then they just rolled out this network right. real quickly. And that, I mean, I, I'd also, I'm glad you brought up mobile, and I'm going to throw that out there too. That as this debate progresses and as people are talking about this, the 2010 carve out for mobile, which basically was how they struck this deal, like none of these rules are going to apply to mobile access, is crazy. And they're trying to do it again this time around. And I think, you know, particularly when you start talking about free speech issues, which are different than maybe startup and music issues, but obviously these things all cross over. Um, so many people now in the United States and in the world get their internet over mobile, um, you know, that don't have internet access, that don't even have computers. And if we're not talking about these things together, we've like, you know, lost our minds. Um, so we've got time for, I think, just one or two more questions. Uh, we got one right here. Um, hi, this debate seems to be quite US centric and we're talking about net neutrality, which obviously has global implications. I was wondering, like obviously you guys keep talking about local bills and uh, law enforcement, but wh what do you guys think is the answer? And <coughs> debate that should be spawned globally, not just U.S. and locally? Well, there was just a recent victory in Europe. Um, they were able to kind of shut down some really bad proposals. Um, so a lot of places are actually dealing with this. But I don't know if you guys want to talk a little bit about the technology and, and the international aspect. I find the Internet in other countries to be really, really expensive to be put in servers, on the server side, compared to putting in the United States. And so, I, you know, I, I like that when I'm in the Netherlands, I can actually download things a whole lot faster than I can uh, at home here in the United States, being in San Francisco. Um, but actually being putting in server infrastructure is expensive, and I don't, I don't know why. Um, so I, I can't, you know, it's nice to be able to go and say, hey, they're doing everything right, but I'm not sure they are. 
the last mile, there's a lot of companies and countries, assuming like Australia, New Zealand, uh, he's talking about the Netherlands, Amsterdam actually has an open network that they're putting out. And so there are people that are sort of waking up and countries that are waking up to open access. Right there. Yep, you got someone right there. So you might have answered my question earlier, but mobile, it's blowing up. Yeah. All the kids are on their cell phones all the time. We're seeing people don't have computers, but they're carrying on their phones. So to give an example, I have the original iPhone unlimited data plan, which I'm never, ever changing. <laughs> Meanwhile, my relatives in Canada are paying $90 a month for two gigabytes of data per month, yeah. which increasingly seems like a very stingy uh, limit. And then you get dinged. You know, you're paying $15 for every megabyte when you're roaming international, the charges are huge. My question is, how do you guys see that uh, shaking out in the next couple of years with cost of access and hopefully some sort of, whether it's competition bringing down price or something else bringing down price so we can get more people so, on. So the fast lane is being proposed by the wireless carriers. They're the people that are actually hurting the most. The Comcast and those other carriers are sort of like greedily looking at and seeing what happens on this kind of stuff. But they have very little spectrum to work with. I mean, there's, there's, you can only put so many bits per megahertz uh, over the air. Uh, thank you, Claude Shannon, who defined that. But they don't have more spectrum that they can open up. And so what they're doing is they're looking at offloading a lot of this data to open networks. Like, for instance, the city of San Francisco, we just put uh, a public Wi-Fi up and down Market Street. We're doing, we're looking at this technology called Hotspot 2.0, where a we can actually sell that that network to the to uh, like AT&T and such so that they can dump that data onto that wireless network and put it over there. I so think just happened, that just happens automatically on your device. It's yeah. Starbucks is doing that with AT&T, right? They have uh, they've actually, Google is starting to take over that network okay. actually at this point. But yeah. I, so the Internet Archive gets about 20 to 30 percent of our traffic from iOS and Android devices. And the Ar Internet Archive site is not well optimized for this. So it's really, uh, as you say, mobile is sweeping. Whether it's going over the transiting over their mobile networks or not, actually, I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm really worried about this. If um, we've got, a, a, you know, I'm carrying around a bug device. That um, <clears throat> comes from Apple um, that has locked applications, a locked um, uh, operating system, and a locked network. This thing is the epitome of closed, and uh, so we've got a real problem. Um, and so I think we should invest in, the, say, the Mozilla phone or the uh, Ubuntu. Are trying to build phones that are built on open source software that doesn't solve the network problem, but we also then need to solve the network problem as well. But I think we've got to really stay conscious of this in the same way we. We used to you know, be very conscious of open source software on our servers to try to make it so that people can't get a stranglehold. This thing is yeah, a problem. By the way, this, this is a good point. Applications, this, the people see this as the internet now. Uh, if you try to put like a Bitcoin application on at, in the Apple yeah, Store, it's not going to go. If you try to put any porn or anything else that people may want to buy, it's not going to go. Um, so. Let me just say, uh, I know that, that I'm going to let Rusty say a quick thing. I'm going to say a quick thing. We're going to do one last question from Rob. but. You go, me go, then Rob. Um, I was just going to say, we're already seeing um, other places around the world, uh, the wireless carriers are blocking ports and protocols. So we'll get people saying, oh, I can't run your app. And we do some debugging. And find, oh, yeah, you're connected to a stream server that's on a high port, which is, and your carrier is blocking that. And that's, that's you know, that kind of thing is really important. And, and you're not seeing as much of that in the U.S., although we have noticed it mm -hmm. on some small wireless carriers here. And the last point I'll make about wireless, and it's also up in this rulemaking round at FCC, there are spectrum auctions. And this is like a whole nother 
panel. This is a conversation for a whole other panel, but this is also, there's unlicensed spectrum and how we're gonna auction it off, and it's really complicated, more so politically complicated, I would argue, than technically complicated. Um, but I'd be watching that closely, because a lot of the answers to um, the amount uh, you know, of bandwidth Lie, lie in those auctions. So, um, last question, Rob. Um, but before I let him go, I just, this has been awesome. Thank, Thank you guys you. so much. Okay. But let's let's hear Rob's question. Uh, actually, it's not much of a question, just a statement, uh, no point of perspective from the EU. So, two points there. The EU has recently passed a law that says all of the EU must have net neutrality. It's not completely done yet, but it's expected to completely pass, and that is fantastic. That makes yeah. me really happy to live in the EU. Uh, the second point is that. Um, uh, there was a level three report that came out not too long ago where they actually talked about, and this was the difference between you know whether we're dropping packets or whether we're discriminating on traffic, and they pointed this out and they said these problems with dropping packets and so forth is almost exclusively U.S. problem. There is one uh, ISP in the in the EU that has this problem, and that's because there's a lack of competition. Everyone else has competition. The networks are fine. The rest of the world is fine. Mm -hmm. And just for, for another quick data point, the, uh, the data for all of our cell phone plans and everything that we have uh, as a family in Spain, we're paying just about the same as we did in California, but our service is rock solid and at least three times as fast. It's I think fabulous. If, if most Americans knew how crappy our internet was compared to the rest of the world, they'd be horrified. Um, yeah, on that, on that note. <laughs> on that note, um, thank you so much to the panelists. Thank you guys for your questions. Um, and join us in this fight. It's really, really, really important.